When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. By no one's demand, but our own and from our home office here in beautiful, sunny, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast, powered by Tennessee Tickets, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Good to see everyone, good to talk to everyone, rather. Here on this Thursday, we have a bunch of things to get through over the course of the show, so I'll lay them out here quickly, and then we'll get right to the hashtag content that you all so deeply crave. Braden Gall of Athlon Sports and Sirius XM Radio is going to join us to discuss college football's potential return, college football, or SEC athletes, rather, making their trips back to campus with a June 8th tentative date, and Alex Doherty, our great Preds writer for A to Z Sports, is going to discuss the NHL's plan for return, a possible summer Stanley Cup playoffs with a champion being crowned in early autumn. That is the plan that has been set forth. We'll get to your guys' Titans mailbag questions that you have dropped for us in the iTunes review mailbag, and then you will hear from Taylor Lewan. Titans left tackle, who joined us via Zoom press conference today. One answer I thought that he gave on the relationship between he, Dennis Kelly, and Isaiah Wilson, two guys who he will, one who he's friends with, and another who he will have to help indoctrinate to the Titans locker room, how he plans to balance all of that, and some thoughts that I have on that particular subject. All of that ahead today on the 615 Sessions. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. We have brought back two of our friends, Though, uh, under different circumstances, the quarantine edition of the podcast, Braden Gall of Athlon Sports, the Cover 2 podcast, rate, review, and subscribe, Sirius XM, ESPN Radio from time to time, our friend joining us from East Nashville, and Alex Doherty, our great Preds writer for itisesportsnashville.com, because there is things happening in the NHL and college football, respectively. We're going to talk about both of these things, and of course, intern Reed will get to mailbag questions at the end of the show. He's patiently waiting in the wings to pop his camera and his microphone on, but we won't keep him waiting long. Boys, how are you? Very good. Doing very well. 
as well as well as I can, well as I can be. Yes. What what it, what do we define as well anymore? I just I simply just no no respirators. Is that how wellness is defined? How how many pairs of uh, children's underwear have you guys cleaned fecal matter out of this week? <laughs> uh, zero. That question is zero. Alex, do you have kids? Yeah, I, I had a three-year-old, so I, the possibility is out there, but I, I'm at zero this week. So, how? What is the over for you then, Braden? Uh, this week, I'm at about two or three. Um, for for the pandemic, I'm going I'm going strong at a, at about a dozen pairs of of undies, and you have to do it in the kitchen sink too, which is really crazy because there's no. no really there's no drink. Okay, let's walk through this then. Where do you do it? You can't do it in the bathtub or a regular sink because the drains are too small and the tiny, the tiny particles are going to get stuck. Uh. You're not going to take it outside and use a hose. Like I, there's no other real option uh, unless you want to put on some rubber gloves and dive into the, the toilet. So yeah, uh, it's a, it's a dilemma, right? Where do, what do you do with all of the uh, the the extra? parenting stuff that you have no, to handle. No, st uh, sterility is the option. That is the other option. That is the only other option, <laughs> at least in, in my particular case. But, you know, I just – I'm, I'm past that. I'm past that. I, yes, I know. You're both well past that, it would seem. Uh, it's, like, it's like this argument for me to get a puppy that people continue to pepper, with me, uh, pepper me with on social media. I don't want to have to clean up somebody else's shit, would be it a human being or an animal. I don't see why – People have that desire, but I well, respect those of you who do. What about a cat? I've probably got more in common with a cat, but like, what's the, what am I getting the cat for at that point? Because I'm going to get a cat to, <laughs> to not mess with me, to have a pet that, which I, I love. I love the idea of having a pet that doesn't need anything from me, really. Yeah. Well, if you, if you want to constantly, you know, seek approval and bust your ass to like, you know, have something love you in return. Like I recommend getting married before uh, getting a cat, but <laughs> dogs, man, dogs all the way, instant affection. He goes and poops in the other yard. Like I'm good. The dog all the way. Yeah. I've, I've got a dog and, um, it, it very much easier than cats, but cats have, cats have personality that, uh, the dogs sometimes lack. I mean, the cats can, can put you in your place, and that's always important. Ground you, keep you humble. Why would you what? want that out of a pet? <laughs> well, you get that out of me, so what do I need the cat for? Like, I am yeah. the human embodiment of, of cat-like behavior, and so that will be enough in the meantime. What we do not get enough of, though, is hockey and college football amidst a global pandemic. But there has been news on both fronts. We're going to talk about college football-related things with Braden, of course, from Athlon. Alex is here to discuss the NHL angle of things, but we will start first with the idea that hockey, the largest North American sports league to declare definitive plans for a return. There will be no preseason camps taking place before July 1st and the regular season officially declared at a close a 2014 playoff implemented amongst other things and the Nashville Predators who were in the playoff picture as an eighth seed when the season did come to a dramatic stop. They will face the Arizona Coyotes. So, boys, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the NHL, whether you think any of this is feasible in the return-to-play aspect, what issues you have, just your general reaction when you saw the news come down. Personally, I think um, it's, it's a risk that the NHL just had to take. 
Um, they, it seemed pretty clear to me that they were not willing to forego all of the money ad revenue that they would be losing by not hosting the 2020 Stanley cup playoffs. I mean, they, they, they make almost all of their money uh, via ad revenue and almost all of that is playoff money. So it's, uh, it's, it's a huge, it would be a huge um, obstacle to overcome in the future if they didn't host it. So I, I knew that they were going to try to figure out a way to do it. I did not think that they were going to um, do it the way they did. I did this, this hub cities was an option that was floated uh, a while back and it seemed like it had some traction, but then there were some logistical problems. I thought maybe they would just wait for, for the, uh, the cities to open themselves, but that has its own limitations. Um, I think that the plan is, I guess, about as good as you could have, but it's, it's certainly got issues. I mean, the, the, the hub city options are not uh, ideal for some teams. And uh, I think that, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have issues no matter where you are. Um, each, you know, each team other than the seven that didn't make it has their own, uh, pro- probably has varying degrees of, you know, did they get screwed or not? I think a team like Chicago has to feel pretty good about making it. And then a team like, you know, St. Louis, who was pretty much cruising for uh, a top spot, is now looking at possibly being fourth and then having a tougher draw in the first round. So it, depending, on what, depending on what team you're following, I think that you probably feel somewhat screwed. But I, I don't think they had any option. I think they had to do this. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, you look at what Major League Baseball is going through, you know, with the salaries and, you know, Max Scherzer – you know, all the things that they're doing right now. Just a money. bomb dropped in the middle yeah, of the like, Twitter sphere this morning, or late <laughs> last night, I think, with Scherzer declaring right. the MLB Players Union would no longer uh, agree to terms or would no longer pursue negotiations with professional baseball because of the way that they felt, the Players Union felt they had been wronged salary-wise. So I, I, th- I think from a revenue standpoint, risk, I, I think as long as it's collectively bargained, all of these leagues have a chance to sort of put something together. That's the biggest difference between – professional football and college football is th- these athletes in the college ranks, no matter the sport, have no ability to, to collectively bargain anything into uh, when it comes to liability and health and safety. I, you know, my first reaction was awesome. Let's get some hockey back. Let's get some people on the ice and let's let, you know, everyone sort of knows that 2020 is just going to be different for every sport. You know, it still counts. Um, but everybody knows when they look back on the record books in any sport that 2020 is going to be different. And I will say from a logistics standpoint, the hub city idea you know, I think in theory, it's awesome. It's, it's a great, you know, you, you feel like you're limiting risks. And again, as you can see, I am fully clothed. My hair is not on fire and I am not running naked through the streets. So what little hair you have left. Very little. But the, the point is, is to suggest that there is like, think about the logistics of, of housing 12 teams in one city and the, um, the layers of personnel and people you have to go through to keep all of them tested and traced the, through the entire process. Even if it's in a time where the risk is fairly low and they're, they're healthy, whatever, but you got transportation, you got security, you got staff, you got broadcast, you got all these different elements. And you're talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that you have to test and trace every single day, basically. So I, I you know, that would be my question is, is in theory, this sounds great. It sounds safe. Mm-hmm. And can't wait to get hockey back. Awesome. But at the same time, start working through your head the logistics of actually keeping, you know, six, eight, 800, 900, whatever the number is of people safe because you need hotel workers, you need arena workers, you need sheets of ice to be cleaned and sterile. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. So uh, I, I think on the surface, I'm, I, I'm like everybody else. I'm super excited. I hope it gets, gets to go off and I hope everybody's safe. But 
Uh, it doesn't mean it's not going to be an enormous undertaking to try to keep everybody, um, you know, as safe as possible through the entire process. Hire your own. We all know. Is the we, first we thing all know that, that comes to mind to me. Alex, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's. I was just going to say, and we we all know that there there is a zero percent chance that there's there's not a positive test, right? I mean, there's going oh, to right. be a positive test at some point. So what happens then? And and the, these players are quarantined. What if there's a, a just a, a, a an incredible outbreak at one of the hub cities and all the teams get it? Do they do they stop the whole thing? Do they postpone it more? I mean, it like I said, it's a huge risk. It was a big risk that the NHL t- takes has taken in doing this. Um, you know, you you want to hope that it's not a risk that involves actual players' lives or lives of their loved ones. But it could. I mean, it's not. We we know how many people have died from this thing, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I like your like you said, Braden. I I'm excited that hockey's back, and it but it's it's going to be a very different kind of sport to watch. I think. I think certainly the the players getting testing positive would get all the headlines, but it's not, those aren't the people I'm worried about. Like, I, don't get me wrong, I care about everybody, but the millionaires that can afford to sort of. <laughs> withstand this kind of stuff especially in peak physical condition um my issue is the the you know the person who's cleaning the hotel rooms the person who's cleaning the sheets of ice the person that has to drive the the buses back and forth like what you know these there's again it's gonna be hundreds of people that have to be all sort of quarantined and tested and traced again i'm not saying it's not possible it's it's possible but it's just a huge undertaking well and all of this is we are operating under hypotheticals at this point like the nhl has has put this into place (laughs) and has decided, okay, this is the route with, that we will go should all of these things be possible. Gary Bettman was on SportsCenter the other day talking about by the time, by the July 1st timeline, not prior to July 1st for preseason training camp to begin before they launch into the 2014 playoff. They expect adequate testing by that time to be, to be easily attainable, and whether Gary Bettman is the one that leads the charge on all of these things – uh, that is not the that is not the the knight in shining armor the er, knight in shining armor the 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 dark knight among us Gary Bettman leading the charge into the return of sports I think that we all expected but there are a number of things that can be that can take place in in the in between that could complicate all of this chief among them the idea of where the hell you're going to put these things ten cities under consideration seven of them in North America or excuse me in the U S three Canadian cities under consideration as yeah, well. I mean, and, and this, this whole thing is what, two months away at best. I mean, this might not happen it's until not a long August. time. I mean, we might as well start like, you know, it's like talking about city planning on Mars. I mean, we're, there's a lot that can happen between now and then. I mean, it's, it's, there's, this thing could easily not happen. Right. I mean, this is the best plan right now, but in two weeks, is it the best plan is it in a month? Is it even, is it even possible? So, yeah. And what will happen before then is SEC athletes among the collegiate ranks will return to campuses in some form or fashion on June 8th. That news coming down last week. Not what Philip Fulmer wanted, although it was reported that he was not the only SEC athletic director to protest the idea of a June 1st return. Fat Phil wanted the 15th. The rest of the conference wanted the 1st. They settled on the 8th, and everybody appears to be happy in some form or fashion. Brayden, given this being your area of expertise, you saw the news initially and your first thoughts were what? Uh, I, I think to, to Alex's point about the NHL, just let's just 
hypothetically picture 28,000 people between the age of 18 and 24 coming back to Knoxville, Tennessee, there is a 0% chance that it is, they are all not positive. Like there's a 0% chance that there's not a positive test in there somewhere. And what are you going to do? Ask students to stay in their dorm rooms and their apartments right. every single night. Yeah. That ain't, it's just never going to happen. So um, to the same you know, point about um, the hockey tournament and, and every league that's trying to do this stuff, we're just, we don't know is the right answer. We, we just don't know. I, I don't know. Nobody knows. Phil Fulmer's guessing. Um, I think getting athletes back, I, I don't, I don't know what it, who it benefits the most. Um, if they can get into a, a routine of testing and, and tracing, maybe that gives them some, some runway to build up to a training camp potentially. And then if training camp, almost everybody you talk to, coaches, ADs, conference commissioners, they'll tell you they need at least a six-week minimum ramp up before they can play a game. Um, so, I, I, you know, they've, they've always been shooting for sort of June 15th to get back, and, and that gives them that, that ramp up. But – again there's like you bring you start bringing the student body back you start bringing all, like how do you keep them separate it's just not going to work there's too many moving parts so and oh by the way this is the issue that the sport professional sports leagues don't have to deal with liability every college so has much. Li- it's all about liability because you can't have parents calling up with sick kids like you're just that's that's not the same as a as a, a major league baseball player or an nfl player who has voted and collectively bargained their health and safety into a negotiation. That's just, that's, it's so different than what college football is. And so every president, every AD, every coach all across the country is, is gotta be worried about like, you know, how state's gotta be worried about 65,000 lawsuits from their 65,000 students. If a parent decides, Hey, what, how is my kid sick? You didn't handle this appropriately. So uh, I, I am optimistic. I'm hopeful just like everybody else. Uh, I also understand information and data and, uh, it's concerning at least a little bit uh, when it t- comes to bringing all these people back to campus. Alex, I understand that SEC and college football are not the, are not the sport that you cover, but what, what potential information misses do you think that college football is, is proceeding without foresight, if there are any? Because you are as informed on this particular situation as, as anybody I know. I think you and Braden have done a really good job at keeping people realistic when there is so much else out there about the potential return and the weather getting nicer and people ignoring social distancing over Memorial Day weekend. When you evaluate the idea that college campuses will open up to student athletes on June 8th, what what was kind of your gut reaction? Well, like like Braden said, I mean, college students are uh, are, are very well known for sound decision-making uh, moderation, being very reasonable. In, moderation is key. In their, in their, in their uh, thought processes. Uh, well, look, I mean, I feel like maybe, and I don't know everything about the, the, the money structure of, of like, for example, the Southeastern Conference. Um, but I do know that in college, in college sports, I mean, obviously college football reigns supreme, right? I mean, it, it is the money maker. I just wonder, is the NCAA under even more pressure, or maybe not the NCAA, but let's take SEC, because that's the, just the, the league that we all, all obviously know the, the best. Are they under even more pressure to have a college football season than the NHL is? I mean, could the NHL pre- conceivably sur- you know, survive not having a Stanley Cup playoffs? Yeah, they could. Could college football? Could the SEC? I don't know. I, I mean, could they, could they go 
a year off and not have a season? I, that, that's, that's a question for you. I have no idea. It seems like they wouldn't, but. Braden, I'll let you respond, but my initial reaction to that would be, well, the Power Five schools could survive it. It's the rest of them that would be operating at a loss should there not be a college football <laughs> season taking place. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And then trimming the sales in a lot of other places as well. You've already seen this across the country at the lower levels. They're canceling all kinds of other teams that don't generate revenue because they cost a lot of money. And so that's, that's happening everywhere. And, and I don't, I think, you know, if Alabama and Tennessee don't play a football season, you know, not to, not to mention the athletic departments being really wealthy, the boosters being really wealthy, and all of them will write enough checks to, to keep football at Alabama afloat. Like they're just not going to ever not have football there. Um, but I, I think the other thing is the endowments too. Like they, a lot of these athletic departments, people don't know are separate business entities than the actual universities. And if they could figure out ways to sort of siphon off a little bit money from the endowment, Vanderbilt, by the way, you know, for example, is one of the biggest endowments in the SEC. You can just, if all you're talking about is a hundred million dollars in athletic department budget and you've got a $2 billion endowment, you can just slice off a little bit for this year and, and, and they survive sort of like the way an ownership group would survive in the professional ranks. Like you, you know, all these people that own NFL and NHL and these, these people are not poor. Like they have tons of money and, and, you know, Amy Adams Strunk could afford to, to lose a little bit of money for a quarter, uh, you know, of 2020 to make sure that football comes back safe in a different time or whatever. So again, I know that's not a, a fun answer for people to hear, Oh, we're just going to have to take money from a bunch of people that have it, but I don't know what else other solution there, there is. And socialism. Socialism. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what other answer there is. And, and again, it's different in the college ranks because the second one parent or, or, or somebody gets upset about how their child has been handled, that's very different than yeah. any of these professional athletes. So then what happens if the, if, if, you know, the second wave that's going to come in October, November, December, I mean, that's right in the middle of, of college football. I, I mean, is that going to, is that going to stop? Is, is, are we going to be in the same situation that the NBA and the NHL are in right now where they have to, they just have to stop their season and wait until what <laughs> next June to start it. I mean, I, I think it's, it, it's a hundred percent why everyone has shortened their, it's just, it's a hundred percent why every major school is, is targeting Thanksgiving to be done is because uh, they, they know the system is going to be under such stress mm. for however long it's open, you know, whether it's the testing system, the athletic system, the education system at these universities, it's going to be under such pressure from every angle that they almost have to like, they almost have to stop the machine so that it doesn't over overwork itself and explode. And so I think everyone's targeting to shorten it down. It's why university of Tennessee is going to not have fall break. They're not going to have, you know, holidays at all during that, that time period. They're going to start a week later at some places and then they're going to end two or three weeks earlier. So they're, they're trying to cram it all in. No bye weeks potentially has been debated. It's also like college football power brokers have said that they'd maybe do a six game schedule in the fall and a six game schedule in the spring. Most medical people will tell you that the, that, you know, by early December, it's definitely into flu season, mid no, mid November, you still might be okay. But again, this falls into the category of, we don't know like everything yeah. else. And uh, yeah. so I think it's all about how much stress can the system handle? And then how can you uh, avoid sort of the tipping point on that system to where the whole thing explodes? What we don't know is whether SEC media days will take place. We don't know if the NHL's plans to return will actually go off. But what we do know is the thing that sets the tone ahead of SEC media days. In, in a, wise, a wise man once said, the thing that sets the tone for AP voters and SEC media days is none other 
than the Athlon Sports preseason rankings. Nobody paid me to say that. Athlon Sports' own Braden Gall is here on behalf of the magazine and has indicated that rankings have been released. There are coaching rankings. There are preseason rankings. Some rankings include the idea as my alarm goes off and I drop my phone. Some rankings include the idea that Lane Kiffin is greater than Greg Schiano is greater than Jeremy Pruitt, <laughs> which I saw taking place on social media last night. Braden Gall, the floor is yours. Why should people check out this most recent edition of the Athlon Sports preseason college football edition? To bring some semblance of normalcy back to your sports life. Oh, I mean, dear I, God, yes. I, I mean, listen, I, I have been inundated with – you know, the insults and the Twitter sewers that you love to bathe in, Buck, the last week and a half since we put out our rankings. And it's made me feel a lot more like the first 15 years of my career than the last three months. And so it's bizarre to, to feel comfortable being insulted all day. Um, that's probably not a healthy way for me to live. But Welcome to does, my world. But it does feel, it just, it feels normal again to be arguing about you know, is Florida going to be Georgia and cocktail party? You know, can Georgia go on the road and beat Alabama early in the season? Like it just feels normal to be able to yell at each other again in a, in a very petty and online way. So it's been a lot of fun. We put the magazine out just like we did every year. Uh, order them, athlonsports.com. Uh, right there at the top, it says buy your magazine. Really complicated stuff. Uh, we'll ship it to you so you don't have to go out and get it. We'll, we'll send it right to you. And, um, we, you know, it's a, it's a product that we work really, really hard on. And there's a lot of men and women that have worked really, really hard on it. And like everybody in this situation, uh, we need support too. So buy, buy a magazine and um, you'll, get, you'll get a couple months worth of reading out of the deal and you'll feel like a regular college football fan again for a few, for a few minutes of your day. And uh, we obviously would appreciate the support. So athonsports.com is the website. And, and now we can begin arguing about my, my opinions and rankings. As much shit as I like to talk to Braden Gall, the Athlon College Football Magazines, and many of their season preview magazines, baseball, NFL, they do a lot of good work, a lot of thorough work worth checking out for sure. Intern Reed, if you are prepared, we will launch into the mailbag questions. He has been banished to the depths of the internet, and now he joins us, our great intern there for the A to Z Sports Primetime Show. Reed, have you prepared the mailbag questions for the three of us. I have prepared them, and beware, these are Titans more so than anything else. So I know we've been talking football, college football and Preds, but we'll go straight into the Titans questions if y'all don't mind. Sure. Uh, the first one comes from Jonathan the Baptist. It's at Jonathan the Baptist. What's your favorite Titans jersey combo? I see the floor to you two. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I have to admit – I am not like Zach Bingham, and I don't really get involved in the uh, in in the jersey pandemonium that people do. Um, I think I I kind of like the I kind of like what they have now. I mean, I don't really it doesn't nothing really gets me going with any of the jerseys. I think I generally like their road whites better than I like anything else, but that's not really based on a whole lot. I I I can't I can't find myself getting out of bed thinking about jerseys too often. Oh, it's, I, I, that's what I dream about every night. Um, I, are we just talking current? If it's just current. The current then, iteration of Titans Yeah, if, if we're just talking current, then I like the, the, the Stormtrooper all white with the blue helmet. It's sort of like a, it's got a Penn State-y feel um, to me, which I think is one of the best uniforms in all of football on any level. Um, and, and so I think that looks pretty smooth. 
I, I the, just nothing with with red, like just nothing with all all red on it is, is should ever be used. This city has been obsessed with that particular uniform for two decades, and I've never understood it because it there's looks never been atrocious. One. Never it looks atrocious. I know, and that's I, again maybe that's part of the mystique uh, why people get obsessed with it because it's Somehow. out there and people can wear it, I guess, and you can go buy one. But I, I just think it it's. It's even worse than Arena League. Like it, like Nashville Cats had better uniforms than than some of the old Titans uniforms. But give me the baby blue Oilers from back in the day with the white helmets. That's the best one. I was going to mention I, the only one of the only jerseys I own is a baby blue McNair, which is which I like. So I am partial to the navy tops and the Carolina blue bottoms. I did not think that that was a combination I would like. But that's one. Since Braden took my answer, the Stormtroopers are the correct answer. The white is the cleanest. And the best of looks, but in in that particular, if I had to go with a section second option, I mean the all navy's not bad, but I really do like that Carolina blue. Nobody else seems to. What's the next one you have for us, Reed? So the next one comes from another Buck, Mister Buck Ali at Buck Ali Five. It's one of he's my many burners. Yeah, he, he's going to spare all of the Malcolm Butler and all the clowny questions you got, but he wants to know: Do the Titans plan on having Cole McDonald being a backup quarterback? Is he coming in to compete? Or are they really considering carrying three quarterbacks on the roster? Braden, let me rephrase this. Is does he have does he have legitimate potential in year one as a seventh round pick? I mean, it doesn't feel like a, a correct use of a pick in that slot to me. Um, if you know, if you're drafting a guy at that in that spot at that position, you you know, like you said, he needs to be on the roster. Otherwise, you're sort of just doing exactly what you did two two years ago, which is waste a draft pick on a quarterback you're going to cut. So the Luke Falk um, era. Yeah, his last name I still fear in front of a live microphone. I, I did not. I'll be honest. I mean, listen, Nick Rolovich is a really good coach at Hawaii. They were a really good team. I, I never. I watched a lot of their games. I never saw NFL talent with with, with McDonald. But I, he, you know, that's a really good offense, and he got good coaching while he was there. So I'll at least give him that, and maybe that gives him a, a crack at the roster. But I don't. I don't know how he takes Logan Woodside's spot. I don't. I don't see that. Oh, the Logan Woodside of great mystique. Go ahead, Alex. I was just going to say, as long as he's not the backup quarterback for the Denver Broncos, like the week one opponent, I think it's okay. That didn't because very much matter. Well, that didn't very much matter for Taewon Taylor. The whole book on Taewon was he couldn't learn the playbook. Sure as hell ship him off to the week one right. opponent. Right. <laughs> Reed, what is the final mailbag question that you have prepared for our guests, Braden Gall and Alex Doherty? Yes, last but not least, from Wes Rucker Eats Ass. He says that Buck and John Reed are a match made in heaven. What are your thoughts? Go. Say the question again. It is Buck and John Reed are a match made in heaven. What are your thoughts? Alex, do you know who John Reed is? I can't say that I do. Do you, do you like shirtless men stalking other adult men at airports and or outside of stadiums? That, if you're into that, then, then John Reed's your guy. I got into a little bit of a Twitter beef with John Reed, and then I invited him on the show, and he shut up after that. So, John Reed, Buck Rising, match made in heaven, your thoughts? Uh, 100%, yes. Uh, especially on a boat that maybe sinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, and at least one of us. No, I, by the way, I – swim. Yeah, but yeah, that's true. And by the way, John is is he's he's a good big fan of UT. He's not a he's not a bad guy. I'm busting his chops here, so I'd be fine with just Buck dying. <laughs> and that is the dismount with which Braden Gall of Athlon Sports has nailed Alex Doherty, of course, our great Preds writer for A to Z Sports at a to Z Sports Nashville Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the Preds Nashcast. 
that Alex does on a somewhat regular basis. We will see more of Alex's work, the weekly edge column, all of these things as hockey attempts to make a return. Head to athlonsports.com and purchase your copy of the college football season preview that they put out. Such thorough work that is done. They go conference by conference. It is a breakdown of every college football team that you could possibly want to know about and more. And while you're rating and reviewing and subscribing to the Preds Nashcast, you can check out the Cover 2 podcast done by our friend Braden Goal as well. Boys, we did this in just enough time, and we did. We even got to, got to a question about Wes Rucker eating ass. It was a productive podcast here today on the 615 Sessions. I need a, I need a number two source on that. That's such a bad joke by you. All right, so we're going to call this segment Five Good Minutes on a particular subject each podcast that interests me. And today, it was something Taylor Lewan, the Titans' left tackle, had to talk to us media vultures about via our Zoom press conference, now that we have to do these things via Zoom, socially distanced adequately and all. It was in regards to a question that I asked Taylor about how being the most, or rather the longest tenured Titans offensive lineman on the active roster, how do you balance the relationship between a person who's your friend and an incoming rookie who are competing for the same spot across your offensive line. This was Lawan's response, and I thought it was a good one, a lengthy one, which we are not unaccustomed to from Taylor. But either way, pretty good thoughts. Let's get to Lawan via the Titan Zoom conference call earlier on Thursday. Hey, Taylor, good to talk to you. Uh, so being the longest tenured Titans offensive lineman on the active roster, how do you kind of balance the relationships that you have with someone that you're really close with, like Dennis, versus Isaiah, who's coming in as a rookie, ultimately understanding that they're both competing for the same job? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I, I, I want to approach this year uh, the way I'd like to approach the rest of my career is I'm, I'm willing to help anybody and everybody. And who anything that I can help Isaiah with, I'm going to help Isaiah with. Anything I can help Dennis with, I'm going to help Dennis with. What I care about more than anything is winning football games. Winning football games winning and, and trying to get in the playoffs and, and getting that last dance and figuring that whole thing out. That's the most important thing. So um, relationships off the football fields are what they are, but we all know it's a business and someday there's going to be some young slappy that comes in probably the top 10 pick that wants to come and take my job. And um, I'm going to treat him with respect and teach him everything I can and still beat him out. So I think, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely, it is touchy at first, but when you realize it's so much black and white, like when you're on the field, the only thing that matters is getting the offensive line better. And the only thing that matters is keeping Tannehill upright, getting Derek yards and winning football games. That's the only thing. And whoever the best person is for that right tackle spot is going to be there. Uh, that's just, that's just what it is. I love Dennis to death. I've had time to spend with Zay and not nah, those guys are, they're, they're both great people. So I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that battle and looking forward to them both grow as players too. Cause when you have that kind of competition, it definitely um, makes you pick up your game quite a bit. So it's going to be, you know, it's tough but it's part of the business. It is what it is. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. All right. So there you heard Taylor kind of laying it out, how he is saying, you know, he's willing to help anybody who would play that position, who would play for the Titans. He's welcome. He's welcoming of all players 
who are drafted onto that team, who are a part of that team, to make sure that the team ultimately achieves success. He mentioned a young slappy, his words, being eventually drafted to take his place, how he would respect that player and go on to beat him out as best he could, should that become the case for Luan as he ages as a professional athlete. And it reminds me just of how complex these locker room relationships can be. Because if you are unfamiliar with Lawan and his leadership style, it's not necessarily something that it's not it's not a it's not to this point through what is he six years in the NFL, almost seven, I believe Taylor Lawan has been an NFL athlete. Leadership was something that was placed upon him, I feel, too early, before he was ready. And we've seen Taylor kind of mature, certainly in my time here covering the Titans, into what he was stating today further on in this press conference, is that he wants to be a more defined leader. He wants to take more of the responsibility, more of the burden onto his shoulders, commensurate to what people thought he should have given his paycheck. And you start by managing the dynamics within the offensive line room. There are older players on this roster. Dennis Kelly is an older player. Left guard Roger Saffold is an older player. Guys whose voices matter within the room. But ultimately, the guy with the highest price tag, the guy who's the former first-round pick, the guy who, for the longest, has been the front-facing individual of this organization until things started to change over the past year and a half, I would say that guy is Taylor Lewan. So Taylor admitting that he will take this new leadership burden upon himself in a way that we have not really, in a way that I don't think he was, I don't think was fair to expect of him. It's not to this point been a part of who Taylor Lewan is. This is the guy who has largely been regarded as the class clown. This is the guy who you could always go to for a good quote, whether it be about his penalties, always honest or at least giving the appearance of honesty. I don't want to assign anything false that Taylor, or anything that Taylor Lewan has said to be false, but he's good in front of a camera and he knows it. And to this point, that hasn't always been the best thing for the football team. But going into this year, Taylor Lewan will have to balance friendships versus the guy who was drafted in the first round this year to ultimately become the starter at right tackle. This is going to be Taylor Lewan's dynamic to have to figure out. And I always lean on the side of honesty. I always lean on the side of genuineness when it comes to professional athletes. Maybe I give them more credence than I should. But when I hear Taylor Lewan talk, when I see all of the things that Taylor Lewan has had to go through over the course of his career here and seeing the way that you guys have responded to him, I think that he's more equipped this year, more than any other year, to handle that mantle of responsibility. And that is this Thursday's Five Good Minutes. So that's going to do it for us today on the 615 Sessions podcast. Shouts to Alex Doherty, Intern Reed, and Braden Gall of Athlon Sports for giving us their insight analysis, and some great iTunes review mailbag questions. If you want a question asked on the podcast, Titans, Preds, Vols, whatever the case may be, we have enough guests that we can cover 
any number of questions you may have, so be sure to leave them in the iTunes reviews with a five-star rating. That is how you ensure that we will answer your questions each Thursday in the iTunes review mailbag. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcast. We will return to you on Tuesday with more Titans information to discuss. By the time you hear this, Kenny Vaccaro and Adoree Jackson will have had a Friday press conference. We will learn how their offseason has been. We will discuss next week how much A.J. Brown, how much room he has to grow. We will have some of our friends who specialize in the wide receiver position. Teron Davenport, Mark Mariani, and Derek Mason will be among the guests next week on the 615 Sessions podcast. We'll also have John Glennon, who covers the Titans for The Athletic, our friend Johnny G, who has wrote, written a couple of interesting stories about the Titans' general manager and his daughter, who has had to overcome a significant amount of adversity, and a story that Johnny wrote about my friend Christian Reed, who ran a one-man marathon in the cancellation, in the wake of the cancellation of the Music City Marathon. Great stuff, great conversations, all available to you. So, in the meantime, I need you to stay safe, I need you to stay clean, and I need you to stay hot, Nashville. This has been the 615 Sessions Podcast, powered by Tennessee Tickets, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com.